This interview of Wisdom from the Top was recorded in 2020. From Luminary and Built It Productions, it's Wisdom from the Top. Stories of crisis, failure, turnaround, and triumph from some of the greatest leaders in the world. I'm Guy Raz, and on the show today, why a fourth-generation ice cream brand is determined to stay small and true to the legacy of its founder, Louis Grader and his wife, Regina Grader. I think she was just really stubborn <laughs> and proud. Her name was on the product, and she knew what this new equipment was doing, and she kind of, I think, thought it was a ripoff. And she said, no, I'm not going to put my name on a product that I think is cheap. Richard Grader and the story of Grader's Ice Cream, coming up next. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When most people think of business and Cincinnati, they think Procter & Gamble or Kroger. In 1837, William Proctor and James Gamble partnered up in the city to form what would eventually become one of the biggest consumer goods companies on earth. In 1883, Bernard Kroger opened up a small grocery store in downtown Cincinnati that today is the largest American supermarket chain measured by revenue. And in 1870, Louis Grader opened up a little ice cream shop in town that started to take off. And while Grader's is available in more than 8,000 grocery stores across the U.S., Louis Grader's brand never scaled like those of his aforementioned Cincinnati contemporaries. And the reason why? It was never his intention. Grader made his ice cream slowly and in small batches, using an old technique known as the French pot method. And today, it's the exact same way Grader's is still made. And Lewis's great-grandson, Richard, the current CEO, has no intention of changing things anytime, even if it means Grader's stays comparatively small. And unlike the Fortune 100 companies we normally profile, Grader's is an example of why keeping your business small can sometimes mean a stronger and more sustainable business. Grader's ice cream started 150 years ago in 1870 when my great-grandfather, as a teenager, huh. left home and came to then the thriving metropolis of Cincinnati and decided to do something that was rather extraordinary, make ice cream. Now, today we might not think that that is really all that unusual, but if you think back in 1870, 
there was something pretty critical to ice cream missing, and that was refrigeration. There was no yeah. mechanical refrigeration. You couldn't, yeah. you couldn't make things cold back then. So the way you did it is uh, you had ice that was stored up over the winters, and if you mix ice, salt, and water, you get temperatures below zero. So cream, milk, sugar, eggs is the basic ice cream mix. So by mixing the ice and the salt and the water together, you get about eight, nine degrees below zero. And then he would put that in, I think, a wooden barrel and then put a metal pail inside of that, pour in the the ice cream mix, and then just stir it with a paddle. Mm-hmm. And in about 10, 20 minutes, it would be ready to eat. And then you had to, of course, serve it immediately because <laughs> you, you couldn't store it. And so that's what he did as a kid. And whatever possessed him to do it has been lost to history, but... That's literally how we started, by by hand in a street market. Wow. And, and what happened? Did, did the business like just, you know, take off like a rocket ship because of what your grandfather did or not quite? Well, I kind of have to infer a little bit because we don't know for sure. But after a number of years, his name appears in the city directory as a confectioner. So he opened a, a store in downtown Cincinnati and For 50 years, they just had one store where they made ice cream in the back room, sold it in the front parlor, and lived upstairs. And as the city grew, he grew with it. Cincinnati, you have to understand, the downtown of the city is sort of in a valley. But then Cincinnati is known as the city with seven hills. And to get up those hills, we had cable cars and inclines. And he rode that cable car up to Walnut Hills. And there he opened up a shop. Hmm. And that's where he ultimately met my great-grandmother, and they built their their home where, again, they still made ice cream in the back room, sold it in the front parlor, and lived upstairs. And wow. that's pretty much the first 50 years of the business was just having that one ice cream parlor. Huh. So how did it grow? How did it, how did it scale? Well, he died. <laughs> was the first thing. He, uh, Lewis Charles died in 1919. He got hit by, a, I think, a streetcar. And he left my great-grandmother, Regina, a widow with two teenage boys and she started running that business she goes well i gotta take it over and she did and (laughs) she did something that that her husband had not managed to do in 50 years she opened a second store in hyde park a few miles away the first second store and that store is to is still open to this day we still operate that store today so it's almost 100 years old that store is but 50 years lewis charles the, the founder only had one store and I think two years after his death, she was already opening a second store. Wow. And then a third store, and then a fourth store. And she's really the driving force behind the expansion, the early expansion of our company. Wow. Yeah. So, out of curiosity, when you were growing up, right, because this was still a family, this is a family business, but it was then, even then, when you were um, a young man and a teenager in high school and college. Was it your intention to join the family business? Was it sort of like, I'm getting into this business for sure? Early on, no. I wanted to be a veterinarian. I used to volunteer at the Cincinnati Zoo. We have one of the nation's premier zoos. And summers, I would volunteer and work with the animals, which I loved. And that was going to be my future. But we, even as a little kid, dad put us to work. I mean, my first memory uh, working at Graders, I was five years old, and we would put the lids on the pints of ice cream. Hmm. 
that was my job. You put the lid on and you, you stamp the flavor, vanilla, chocolate, right on, on the top of the lid with a rubber stamp and put it in a box. <laughs> and it was not very glamorous. And so as a kid, I really wasn't too fond. I mean, working at the zoo was so much more fun. Yeah. But my uncle, when I was, I went to Miami University at Oxford, Ohio, and my uncle said, you know, go get an accounting and finance degree. So, okay, I went and did that. And when I graduated, I came back to that uncle and he said, uh, okay, why don't you go get a law degree now? And I never had any interest whatsoever in being a lawyer or law school, but I did it. And um, then after graduating from law school, that uncle was involved in an accident and was very suddenly unable to perform his role at the business. And you know, the real world kind of dawned on me and I saw what our family business meant to so many people. And, and fortunately, over the previous few summers, I had worked with him and, and you know, putting accounts payable and stuff on the computer at that time. And so when he was suddenly unable to come in, I kind of had a good idea of what he did on a day-to-day basis. So hmm. actually, I was still attending law school. So I went to law school by day and then came in and did the uh, accounting by night. Hmm. Not very exciting stuff, but stuff that had to be done. So you joined the company in 89. At the yeah. time, Graders was uh, pretty small, much smaller than it is now. How many – at the time, how many shops did you guys have? Just a, Probably just a handful, right, in, you know, in Cincinnati? When I first joined the company, I think we had 12 stores. Okay. And they're all in Cincinnati. Right. I got you. You leave Cincinnati and no one really knows what Graders is at that time – at that point in time. Yeah. So I want to kind of dig into the idea of growth. T- today, how many employees do you have total? During our summer peak, we will have 1,500 employees. So you're a – you'd be considered a medium-sized business in America, right. right? Yeah. You have stores in several states, uh, mainly in the Midwest. We have 55 stores in nine cities in five states. So wow. yeah. Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, Pennsylvania. And even before we grew, even when we just had a few stores in Cincinnati, there'd be people in New York and in Hollywood that they knew about us. Yeah. The ice cream aficionados yeah. always knew about craters. And that's why back in the 90s, we started actually shipping it on dry ice long before people shipped perishable products. Your pints of ice cream are available in many grocery stores, particularly Kroger. Kroger, right. Um, and, and you ship them. You are in Cincinnati. Cincinnati is the corporate headquarters to Procter & Gamble. Kroger, uh, Scripps, I'm probably forgetting others, a couple of big, I mean, big companies. Yeah. Tell me about the strategy of graders moving forward. I mean, do you want it to be a national, international brand like Ben and Jerry's? I mean, there's also in Columbus, Jenny's Splendid, right? It's a national yeah. brand. Is that your ambition or do you think that that really what you want to do is to just grow slowly and maybe – not even grow all that much. Slow, careful, considerate growth is always our strategy. If we were to become like Ben and Jerry's or Hagen Daz, it would destroy the very essence of, of who and what we are. Hmm. Why? To understand that, to be able to answer that question, I'd have to tell you about how we make our product because it's very different. Tell, tell <laughs> me. Yeah, tell me. Please. So, yeah. Uh, Let's talk to you a little bit about modern ice cream first. There's kind of some dirty secrets about modern ice cream that people really don't think about. And it's, you know, number one is it could be 50% air. Air. 50% of ice cream is air. Okay. And that's, you know, air is a, is a fabulous ingredient because it's free. Yep. 
And that really started in the 1920s. So that kind of get, will get us back to my great-grandmother, Regina, for a minute. But in 1926, uh, the continuous process ice cream machine was invented. Hmm. And by continuous process, that means that the ice cream mix, the cream milk sugar, flows in one end of a horizontal tube. Then inside of that tube, they will whip the mix into a foam. Hmm. And then it squirts out the other end into the container, put a lid on it, and then it will go into a deep freeze, like 70 below zero. And so you basically have frozen foam. <laughs> and it got so bad that the federal government actually, you know, by law, they define what ice cream is. It must have no more than 50% air, which means it can have 50% air, and it can have no less than 10% butterfat. <laughs> And if you are shopping in the grocery store and you see something in the ice cream aisle and it says frozen dessert on it, that's a clue that it actually probably has more than 50% air because frozen dessert can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. And if you pick it up, if you pick up a pint of graters and a pint of quote unquote frozen dessert, you can tell immediately there's only half as much product in the frozen dessert as in the graters. And even the super premium brands like like Haagen-Dazs and, and, and Ben and & Jerry's, they won't have as much as 50% air, but they yeah. still have some air in it. All modern ice cream, all of it, has some air whipped into it because of this process for making it. Hmm. Well, Graders is made on what we call the French pot process. And that's literally a pot that sits inside refrigerant, almost exactly like what my great-grandfather did in the 1870s. He had a wooden barrel full of uh, ice, salt, and water. So that was the refrigerant and then hmm. a metal pot stuck right. in it. Well, right. a French pot is the same thing, except you know we use, of course, modern refrigeration to cool the liquid that the pot spins in, but it's the pot itself that spins. It's a vertical process, so and it's a batch process. So we'll pour, you know, we have a steel pail with two gallons of ice cream mix. We'll pour it into the pot. And then there's a guy standing there with a paddle, just like my great-grandfather. And this pot spins. Wow. And there's even today. A, even today. And then there's a little, there's a blade, like it looks like a corkscrew that, that sits along the edge of the pot. And it slowly scrapes the pot continuously. But the, what's key is these pots don't spin very fast. You know, maybe 100 revolutions per minute, which... You know, in a, in, a, in a continuous process, those blades are spinning very because they're they're whipping the product into a foam. So we don't want that. We don't want to. You know, air is bad. We don't want to whip up the product, and it takes about fifteen minutes for just that two gallons to freeze. And wow. the result is what comes out. It's ready to eat, and the product is is so thick that it has to be packed by hand because the ice cream is too thick to go through. A modern filling equipment. So <laughs> 5 million pints a year packed by hand. Wow. So your ice cream is just much denser than pretty much every commercially available ice cream out there. It is without question the densest ice cream on the market. And that's kind of the difficulty sometimes when you're competing in the grocery store. If you're looking as a consumer at the shelf, you know, our product looks the same as Haagen-Dazs. Right. It's a pint of ice cream and yeah, and yeah. you think, right, okay. And that's part of the dirty secret of the ice cream industry is they're all sold by volume. <laughs> There's very few solid products that are sold by volume. 
instead of weight. Yeah. So a pint of Graders is going to weigh more than most pints of other ice cream brands? It'll weigh more than most and uh, actually it'll be more than all of them. And you have to be careful. You have to weigh, you have to weigh vanilla to vanilla because right, if you sure. have mix-ins and chunks. They it's going to weigh different, yeah. They, yeah, but if you take a pint of Grater's vanilla, it will weigh more than any other pint of vanilla on the market. But we still are – we're not the most expensive pint in the freezer case. Hmm. Is it more expensive to make Grater's? Absolutely. It's without doubt the most expensive ice cream to make hmm. on the market. You know, but why isn't it the most expensive to buy? And that's simply because you know we don't we don't have to answer to financial people in New York. Yeah, you know it's just our family, and we you know, we're willing to take a little bit less because that's again part of the secret to why we have lasted so long. Now, uh, explain something to me for people who don't fully understand like the chemistry of ice cream. Why does a denser ice cream? Why is that better than an ice cream with some air in it? <laughs> You know, no one's ever asked me that before, guy. <laughs> um, you really have to taste it. Huh. And it's not its not taste. It's what we call in the industry mouthfeel. <laughs> it's just the way it melts on your tongue. I mean, you know right away it's something different. Now, the flavor is, of course, very you know, big part of the, of the experience as well. But and I, I really think it gets back to my great-grandmother, and that's just... That's the way all ice cream was made. I mean, Grater's was not special in 1910 or 1920 when she took it over. There was yeah. probably three other family ice cream parlors in the same neighborhood, not just <laughs> in the city of Cincinnati. There was dozens all over the city. You know, every neighborhood back in that day, you had the butcher, baker, and the candlestick maker, and the ice cream parlor. <laughs> and in 1926, this machine came out, and all of a sudden, the market is glutted with cheap, cold, sweet stuff. Hmm. And she, I think she was just really stubborn <laughs> and proud. You know, her, her name was was on the product and she knew what this new equipment was doing and it was, and she kind of, I think, thought it was a ripoff. Hmm. And she said, no, I'm not going to put my name on a product that I think is cheap. And it started pushing all the other neighborhood ice cream companies out. I mean, they weren't even companies. They were all proprietorships, just like yeah. she was. I mean, they were all owned by families. And as they all went out of business, because this this modern, you know, it was the industrial revolution coming to the ice cream industry, and it, it, it put all these families out of business. But what she did innovate, however, was supplying ice cream parlors from a central manufacturing place. So she had her, her store in Walnut Hills, and then she opened up a store in, in Hyde Park, and then she started opening additional stores as other family ice cream parlors were driven out of business by the modern stuff. She started going there and putting Grater's ice cream in, but supplying it from this one central place uh, where she made it. And that was really different because back then you, you sold what you made in the back room, you sold it in the front parlor. So it was kind of an innovation. <laughs> Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Generative AI is not a one-size-fits-all. If you're powering a customer chat experience, you need instant speed at low cost. If you're doing complex R&D or advanced analysis, you need frontier intelligence. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic offers a model for every task and budget. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between speed and skill. And Haiku is the fastest and most cost-effective model on the market. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to power their AI solutions. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. So, all right. You've got this um, and this very premium product, right? And, I, and yeah. you know, to, to, to in, in their defense, I think Ben and Jerry's, I've interviewed them before, and, um, and even Hagen does, they would argue that they make premium ice cream too. And I think they do. I mean, oh, compared yeah. to, right, to the, so the big box brands. Uh, the, uh, but... Um, you're saying what you do cannot be scaled. It can't actually be scaled in a way that it would be distributed to every single grocery store and corner store in the country. That is exactly right. Huh. I mean, we're still making two-gallon batches. Wow. The real ingenuity of what we did was we scaled up an artisan process without scaling it up. <laughs> you know, people would say, well, can't you just make a bigger machine? Well, no, you can't. When I was a kid, we had four French pots at our factory. Mm -hmm. Today, at our, we have a modern plant just a few miles up the road, and we have 37 French pots running morning, noon, and night. So we scaled up by doing a whole bunch of little batch processes. And that is an insane way to try to build a multi-million dollar business. Yeah, I bet. It's just, and my dad would, would, would laugh. It's like, we don't, we never really, people say, well, who's your competition? I was like, nobody, because nobody is crazy enough <laughs> to try to make ice cream this way. <laughs> I mean, we have dramatically scaled it up. So when I was a kid, we probably made 60, 70,000 gallons of ice cream a year mm -hmm. for our dozen stores. And we were on a pace this year to make probably 1.5 million gallons of ice cream. Wow. So really, uh, you're not in the business of, Growing and scaling for the sake of growing and scaling. I mean, it, it, no. it, I, it reminds me of a conversation I had with a very well-known entrepreneur who said, look, if you are a profitable business, you are successful. And, and the businesses today that we think of as successful, these unicorns, most of them are not profitable. Uber has never made a dime. Yeah. But the you know, well-run mom-and-pop store on the corner is a more successful enterprise. You could 
make the argument that actually growth for the sake of growth does not necessarily breed success. Oh, I would totally agree with that. I mean, we, I mean, for, for most of our history, we have financed our growth out of our own cash flow. I mean, growth for growth's sake is absolutely not part of our DNA. And we could have. I mean, people wanted us to franchise, and we experimented a little bit with that. And we yeah. probably could have made a killing by franchising because we got you know, hundreds of requests. Yeah. But franchising is kind of a finance game, it's, and, and we're not smart enough to be financial people. We just know how to make ice cream. And so we kind of decided that, you know, let's stick to what we know, which is making an incredible product, and, you know, that'll take care of us. And it has. So we don't ever expect to be like Ben & Jerry's. I don't ever expect to have 500 Graders ice cream parlors. I'm, I'm almost shocked that we have 55, but... <laughs> It's investing in the future and taking care of the customer and making a product right. And that right there in a nutshell sums up graders. I love that. I mean, I think, and you were, I think last year you were 60 or the latest number. So I have a $60 million business in revenue, $70 million revenue. Yeah. So, I mean, you are basically uh, employing lots of people. Yeah. You've got a sustainable business. Let's talk about where we are for the time being. Um, and, and you are in Ohio, um, which is a state that has responded, um, like California and New York, um, a bit more aggressively than other states to the pandemic. Um, oh. You are in a business that you can do direct to consumer. Yeah. So um, uh, people can order your product, but you also rely on people going to scoop shops. How do you? I mean, there's no playbook for this, Richard. No. Anyone alive in the during the last pandemic is 101 years old. No one is alive today has run a business in a situation quite like this. We're still in the middle of this thing. Yeah. But what do you? What are you thinking? How do you? How do you build resiliency in your business? Well, what I'm thinking is if my great grandmother could survive this without modern medicine, without a government at that time, the 20s, the government didn't come in and support businesses like our government is acting today. I mean, she didn't have any of that, and she survived. If nothing else, I think about that and say, you know what, we can survive too. But it is scary. I, I mean, we were very fortunate. You know, I say we finance a lot of our growth out of our cash flow. We were getting ready to build a, a, a new freezer. We were getting ready to open a couple of new stores, and we've put those projects on pause. So we are in a strong cash position at the moment, mm. but you know, we rely 70% of our business is, is retail. So it's people walking in the door. And right now, not many people are walking in the door. I mean, we're, we just through a stroke of dumb luck, we're ready to roll out an app on, you know, we have a graders app and we were ready mm. to add the functionality to order and pay for products online and have them mm. delivered through you know the third party deliveries yep. well we we were able to quickly adjust that to allow for people to get curbside delivery now so you can sit in your hmm. car order and pay for products and we can and you drive up and we'll run it out to you so mm -hmm. and that was just I mean that was literally just luck that we had this and we had been working on this for a year so if we hadn't had this in the back it would take a year to to, to roll that out but we were so we're, we're in a little better position than some you know, our sales are still down 50% in, in our brick and mortar yeah. business. But on the other hand, our sales, for instance, at Kroger here in Cincinnati, 
are up dramatically. Hmm. And, you know, that's because, you know, you don't really think of ice cream as, you know, it's, it's not, it's not essential to life. Of course not. But especially in Cincinnati where we've been around for 150 years, it's, it's part of, of your life growing up Mm -hmm. here. And to me, and I think this is what I tell my team to really think about what they're doing is that, you know, if, as a shopper, if I walk into Kroger and I go down the freezer aisle and all I see is empty door after empty door, that scares me, you know, yeah. I, I makes me very anxious. And so, you know, our little role in this is to make sure that when that mom goes down the grocery aisle, we're there for her. You know, there, there's a door full of, of a hometown product that they've grown up with, you know, so I think that you know, if we could bring one little smile to a kid's face by, hey, I can at least have my graders. I can't go outside and play. I can't go to school, but I can have my, my bowl of ice cream tonight. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty silly thing to think of in the grand scheme of, of how tragic this situation we're in is. But I really think it gets back to my great-grandmother, and that's just even through the Great Depression. She, in 1934, bought a, uh, a printing business plant that uh, the building that went out of business and moved production there and expanded so in 1934 here's this widow as dark a time as it could be and she's buying defunct plants to move ice cream production and start opening more stores and all through the depression (laughs) she opened store after store after store wow and if you really think about back to our time right now with this coronavirus and when that the last time that came out was 1919, 1920. That's when she took yeah. over. So I really wow. kind of draw strength. I mean, I never met her. She died 10 years before I was born, but I really, you know, draw strength from what she did. I mean, she, you know, a widow in 1920 with a pandemic. She lived through World War One and World War Two with rationing. She survived the Great Depression. She survived, um, you know, technology jolts, you know, new, new things challenging her business model. But she, you know, persevered through all of that. You know, it's, yeah, it's just you keep calm and carry on one day at a time and you yeah. do a little bit. And, and this is our little bit that we're out there doing. And by the way, you're, you're of course, the, the CEO, but presumably it's still a family business, right? And, and, and there are other family members that work at the company even even now, right? Yes, there are. I have two cousins. And my aunt is retired, but you would never know she's retired yeah. because she comes in every day. <laughs> is there a hierarchy or is it really just, I mean, titles are kind of irrelevant. Like people have titles for formal reasons, but actually there's no command and control system. Titles are really pretty irrelevant. Um, I mean, I'm the CEO, and but we operate as a team. Yeah, we're three equal owners, so it's there's there's no other shareholders in the company except my two cousins and I, and we each own the exact same amount. We do things as a team, and I and I have to be more expansive in what I say. Team, it's not just the three of us. Mm-hmm. Our leadership team has a number of non-family members, and we really govern as a group. Richard, um, have you kind of over the years developed a, a philosophy on leadership and, and what uh, you think a leader needs to act? My philosophy on leadership is to hire people smarter than me <laughs> <laughs> and then empower them to lead. 
I mean, I do not micromanage. I'm kind of like the ideas vision guy. Mm-hmm. I think up some of the crazy ideas and sometimes my team members talk me down off the ledge there, but I've got an amazing team of people that can execute and get it done. And if there's any theory of leadership, it's build a team of leaders. I mean, I think in the previous generations of our business, you, you know, the graders were the leaders and everybody else were the worker bees. Yeah. And so nobody ever thought about tomorrow. It's just, I got to make the ice cream and you know get it out to the stores today. And nobody really had the luxury to think about not just tomorrow, but the next year or five years or 10 years. And mm. I kind of had the, the opportunity to dream a bit. And it's not just me, it's my cousins, my partners and I. You know, what our generation did differently than the prior three was bring non-family members into senior leadership roles. Hmm. Every Monday morning, we have the GLT, the Greater Leadership Team, and that is the three graders, but then there's five other non-family members. The seven of us decide what to do as a team, and everybody can speak their mind, and for the most part, you know, we, we hash it out, but then we come away with, with a direction, and then everybody does their part in that. And you can't build, I mean, you can run a little business by yourself, but you can't run a medium-sized business by yourself or even yeah. with a small group. You, you need a team of professionals. And I think more than anything else, our generation, my two cousins and I built that team. And, and that is what's going to carry the business. We decided we want creators to be in business forever. And that means even if something happens to us, we want the business to persevere. And, and for that to happen, you have to have a professional team. Yep. It's interesting because, you know, there's this idea that if you don't innovate, you die, right? Mm -hmm. That you got to continue to innovate and continue to kind of outmaneuver your competitors. But, um, and and of course, you've there have been innovations at Graders over the years, but essentially, you are still making your core product. I mean, your core product is ice cream, it's small scale, it's the same process. Um, I mean, it sounds like your innovation really is that. Uh, you're making ice cream in the same way that pretty much no one else is making it in that way anymore. It's preserve the core and stimulate progress. For us, that core is that quality of ice cream, which can only be made by the French pot process. That cannot change. And for four generations, it hasn't. Every generation had its chance to, well, we could modernize now. Well, we didn't. But stimulate progress is is the other half of that equation, and that's really critical. So if you looked at our plant today, the middle, yes, there's French pots, and yes, there's 37 of them now instead of just four, but they're the same things. But everything around those, what comes before and after is state-of-the-art technology. And it had to be because we follow very strict food safety protocols because you're, you're putting a product out for everybody. You know, back in the day, our food safety plan was my dad and a gallon of bleach. Yeah. Well, today, you know, I have food scientists on staff. We have, the term is is SQF certified. So safe quality food certified. It's a third party, you know, just to make sure. And this is not the government. This is us bringing auditors in to make sure that we're following all of our protocols. That's a state of the art thing. Most other food manufacturers are, are might not be that level of certification, but here, little graders, we are. We're pasteurizing our flavor bases. When I was a kid, I cooked them in a 12-gallon copper pot hmm. over an open flame. Well, now it's in a, a modern pasteurization process. And then after the ice cream is made and we still have to scoop it and put it in the pint, then it gets on a conveyor belt and it will ride back into the 21st century. So I say our plant is kind of like the latest in it is the state-of-the-art 19th century technology 
with state-of-the-art 21st century technology wrapped around it. So, you know, every pint now is, you know, it has a X-ray scanned and then it's, you know, date coded. And then it goes through a, a bundling and we actually have a robot in the freezer that builds our pallets. I mean, a freaking robot. <laughs> Uh, so we are not shy from adapting and adopting the latest and greatest in technology where it adds to the quality of the product. But we can't do that in how we turn it from cream into ice cream. That's the core. That's the part that makes graters graters. So if my great-grandmother came into our plant today, she might be impressed by the size. She might be impressed by the sanitation protocols. But when she got to the ice cream, she'd recognize it as hers, hmm. even a hundred years later. That's Richard Grater. He's the CEO of Grater's Ice Cream, which he runs with his cousins, Chip and Bob Grater. What's your favorite flavor? <laughs> vanilla. All right, good. That's great. Plain vanilla and plain chocolate. Vanilla is the, the <laughs> clearest way to evaluate an ice cream. Absolutely. Uh, 80% of our production is, is ice cream with these chocolate chunks. We didn't even talk about the chocolate chunks. That's what we're known yeah. for, for crying out loud. But uh, graders, we like the simple plain ice cream because we know what goes into making yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So plain vanilla, plain chocolate, I'll take that any day. Hey, thanks for listening to the show this week. The music for this episode was composed and performed by Drop Electric. I'm Guy Raz, and you've been listening to Wisdom from the Top from Luminary and Built It Productions. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.